Welcome to the Hands in Motion podcast, brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. Here we will discuss all things upper extremity therapy, from assessment to treatment, the latest research, the patient experience, and other topics related to the field of upper extremity rehab. Learn more and subscribe today at ASHT.org. Welcome back to another episode of Hands in Motion. I'm Kara Smith. And I'm Stephanie Strauss. Today's topic is one that many of us might like to deny its presence in our own selves, yet we would be lying if we said so. We are going to be discussing burnout versus moral injury and what contributes to this. Our guest has firsthand experience of how burnout affected her as a hand therapist and how she has now used her experience to help others recognize it in themselves and move past it. We're so excited to be joined today by Lynn Festa. So Lynn, tell us a little bit about how you decided to take the path that you have the past couple years. Sure. Well, like a lot of paths in life, it's kind of decided for us. And I think that's what happened to me. And I was trotting along being a hand therapist and it was about 2012. And I had been doing hand therapy since 1991, just to give you a little perspective. And the story that actually I like to tell that how I really got into this was a close friend of mine had lost her job. And I said, okay, the OT me said, now, what do you really want to do? And she stated what she did and she went on to do it, which was really neat. And then of course, being a good friend, she turned it around to me. And I said, oh, you know, I always like, feel like I have this coach in me. So she said, okay, well go do it. So I did, because I do what my friends tell me. And I started out with a coaching system and then Again, the niche kind of found me that I found myself more kind of disillusioned with healthcare. And I definitely found myself burnt out with what I was doing. And maybe at the time, if I'm also being honest with myself, (laughs) which is the only way to get anywhere in life is I almost wonder if I almost bored out a little bit. So I actually thought I was going to leave hand therapy with all of that, which is kind of interesting until again, it found me, people started coming to me and seeking me out and saying, coach me. And I said, okay. So I just kept doing a deeper dive into all of this. And here we are. That's where I've actually found kind of my niche of helping people build the resilience, especially in healthcare, which is, we thought was needed before COVID. All bets are off after. (laughs) Absolutely. So how would you identify the, like, if I was suspecting that I had burnout, like what are some classic signs of burnout? There are very classic signs, but I love, I'm actually going to use, since I know we're all hand therapists listening to this podcast, let's use an analogy that will really mean something to us. It's kind of like how patients come to us and they say, my elbow just started hurting last week. And we'll say, no, it's actually there all along. And you really start to do a deep dive into their symptoms. You realize that all, everything kind of lined up. And that's really true with burnout too. Now there's a very classic burnout definition that 
again, the one thing COVID has brought out is the dialogue about burnout. So that's a good thing for us in healthcare is that we're really going to start to talk about this. But I dare you to read an article about burnout without going through the three classic symptoms. And the first one is emotional exhaustion. And if you look at some of the literature on compassion fatigue, it kind of overlaps with that one. But it just, it's, it's the fatigue that comes from just caring too much for too long. And you'll find yourself with chronic fatigue. And a lot of that actually is due, chicken or the egg, to insomnia that may happen. You're just not sleeping, which then, of course, will lead to poor concentration. It'll also lead to an increase in anxiety and depression. That was not pre-existing to you feeling burnout. And I want to make that a distinction because anxiety and depression are DSM codes, right? And they're, they're treated in the psychotherapy world. And that's where burnout is not. But you'll feel that kind of anxiety and depression kind of building up. That wasn't there again before. The second one is depersonalization. And that's where you notice, you'll also notice a change in behavior. Again, changes in behavior that you're looking for, that somebody will become more isolated or detached. Now, there's those of us who are isolated on a good day, but it's that change in behavior where you're not showing up for the fun things. And they're a lot more pessimistic than you normally would. When you are a glass half full person, you kind of start to become that glass half empty person. And you'll notice that your empathy and your patience, patience with your patients really becomes a short fuse. And the last one is decreased sense of accomplishment. And a short way to say that is like that learned helplessness, that matter how hard you try and how much you do, it's not going to change anything. Now, granted, you're still making changes, but you have that feeling that you're not making those changes. So those are the classic ways. I also love that a very short definition of burnout is it's the body's response to the failure of coping strategies. (laughs) So everything that used to almost bring you joy and things that would kind of roll off your back are no longer doing that. And you're having a harder time bouncing back. And that's that resilience that I like to speak about like normally, you know, we all get pushed over. It's like getting up a little bit slower each time. And then again, it's kind of like that tennis elbow, like all of a sudden you notice and it hurts and it hurts all the time. And it hurts when you do everything. And where did this come from? And please make it go away. Well, it doesn't happen overnight. (laughs) It's very insidious. So these three, I guess, symptoms or ways that you can identify this do they all come, like, do you have to kind of meet all three? Is there like a hierarchy or is it just, if you got one, you're probably headed down this route to burnout? Oh, excellent question. No, it's just like our patients. You're not going to hit every problem to have, you know, lateral condylitis or something like that. So I want to use more of those insidious diagnoses than the obvious. So it'll just be kind of be the slow burn at the risk of a bad pun (laughs) that you'll start to notice. And it will, again, it shows up very differently in all of us. We all have a very different response to it. I also like to say that there's, and I also 
speaking to our people of hand therapists, our peeps, that there's more extrinsic factors. And then there's the intrinsic factors of burnout. And I actually feel like, again, what's happening with this being the hot topic, which is good until it's not, is you don't want to just keep lumping everything in. And now it becomes the buzzword, so to speak, until then everybody ignores us again. So Christine Maslock and Michael Leader actually started talking about burnout in the 1980s. So this is not a new problem. We're just finally just hitting the wall. And I'd like to call these more the extrinsic factors. I also want to really, again, having doing a deep dive into burnout and healthcare, you know, the chicken or the egg. And I think what I appreciate finally, and part of the, what I call the post-traumatic growth of COVID. And I define that as like, a really bad event happened. Obviously, we can't ignore the fact that COVID was awful on a thousand different levels. But something positive is coming out of the fact that we made it through COVID. So that's post-traumatic growth. And one of those is finally <laughs> an acknowledgement of that, the fact that it's not all about the clinician or the person not being tough enough. And I think thank God we're going to get rid of that quote unquote shame. <laughs> Again, I'm a Brene Brown facilitator. So I'm going to do a deep dive into that work too, is that it's not a shaming thing anymore. Like usually if you went and said, I'm burnt out, you know, your boss or your leader probably said, well, that means Lynn, you can't cut it. And I'm like, oh my God, what's the matter with me? So that's actually the dialogue that started. There's actually something called moral injury in healthcare. So I really want people to start to take a look. And as I go through this, you'll figure out where we start to tease these out. And I like to call it the extrinsics, which I'm going to talk about. And then the intrinsics, meaning ourselves, like what's going on inside. And just as we know with hand therapists, we need that one. We can't have one system without the other, right? If one's not working, <laughs> the intrinsic system's out. We don't care what the flexors and the extensors are doing. They're just not going to work. So let me go through a little bit, if I may, some of like the extrinsic factors and some that actually start to speak to moral injury. Okay, it's not playing the victim, but it's like, no, it's you're not alone. It's not you. And that's the work of Maslock and Leader that they actually started. And there's six of those. And the first one is, but I also would like to back up. It's a disconnect between the organization and the individual. And that is the first one is, I know it speaks to everybody listening to this on burnout, is workload. And that are there adequate resources to meet the demands of the job? And without those, we all know what happens. The second one is control. Are you being micromanaged at your job? Are you being led by bean counters, as they say? Or do you just have a leader that's not effective at all? Or you're working at a team that may not be working as a team. And that's the control in the environment. The third one is reward. And that's insufficient compensation. Or sometimes it's just lack of recognition that you're even seeing there as more than just a bean counter. And unsatisfying work. And then again, that goes back to that 
reward system of like, you're starting to not your lack of empathy, lack of accomplishment. The fourth is community. And that is supportive leadership. You see where I'm going with this. <laughs> our relations with colleagues. Again, having to work as a team, nobody is in a bubble ever. And communication with those other colleagues and their leaders. The fifth one is fairness. <laughs> and it's perceived inequities on the job. <laughs> Again, I am very like covering my butt with saying perceived inequities on the job, but you're starting to feel like, wait a minute, something ain't right here. And that can be seen in favoritism, which I think is pretty obvious if any of us have experienced the negative end of that, or God forbid, disrespect in the workplace. And the last one that actually starts to switch to a little bit of intrinsics, and it's actually the one that I think is actually the most important out of all of them, is the values. <laughs> when your value system doesn't match the value system of where you're working, you will experience burnout. I can pretty much guarantee that. So as you can see, like I said, there's a lot of extrinsic factors that are going into that. If I may, I actually want to take a little deep dive into the intrinsics, unless you have any questions about that. Well, I was going to ask about the extrinsics. Yeah. Thinking through that a lot of this is out of your control and you think, okay, well, it's not so simple to say, well, I don't like working for a micromanager. I don't like not having a, a good relationship with my coworkers. I don't like working at a place that I feel isn't fair, but you aren't in a place that you can just leave. How do you recommend someone takes their current situation that they're in and is there anything that they can do Maybe this is where it's coming in with the intrinsics. Is there something that <laughs> yeah. you can do to sort of, you know, I don't know, go around some of those extrinsics and maybe you'll get in that with the intrinsics. But... Yeah, no, it's an excellent, <laughs> oh, we're such like we, learners. We planned that. That, yeah, that was like a perfect lead. Yeah, yeah, because again, you can't have one about without the other. Right. And just as we know, having just read the most perfect book, and I love my books, is I finished something called The Choice by Dr. Edith Eva Eager. And I think it speaks very well to burnout and what we start to experience. Again, if you're starting to feel this, like this kind of beat up by the burnout, so to speak, is that you need to take an honest look at yourself, which is the intrinsics, which I want to get to. And just remember that nobody's ever a victim. I have never read a book in one sitting ever in my whole life. And I promise you, I read this in one sitting because it really gets you out of that victim mode, which if you're going to live a joyful life, that is one of the keys <laughs> as to quote her. But that intrinsic is where you want to go in again, inside and having that work. And again, we need them all to work together. And that's the work of Jesus Montero Marin. And he's a clinical psychologist out of Spain. And he breaks down into three clinical subtypes. And this again, gets into more of what your contribution to your own burnout is, which again, is important. Two sides to every story. <laughs> As much as we don't always want to hear the other side, that's going to be two sides. 
so you may be that frenetic and that's the person who starts out as like the overachiever. I like to say that we, you know, that perfectionist needs to do it all, be it all, you know, almost like a martyr, so to speak, a really high degree of involvement, but to a point where they're not, they will burn out. So it's almost like running your car, you know, with no oil in the highest gear all the time. Or if you're like, say you're a runner, like running anaerobic all the time, like you're never stopping. And that's that frenetic. And that's obviously coming from inside that person's makeup, so to speak, or, or their thoughts. The second one is under challenged. And maybe that's what happened to me that got me into this. I was starting to feel under challenged. Like it was very repetitive to me. I felt like, you know, going in and I'm like, oh my God, you know, another body blah. So I think I was, you know, calling it myself. I think I was under challenged for what I was doing and I burned out. Whereas, like I said, I bored out for a little bit. And then the last one is like, just completely worn out. You're that old pair of shoes you just burned out like a candle. A lot of times too, that also gets into the poor coping skills. So Kara, to answer your question, I love, <laughs> I love that we do exactly what we do with our patients when they come in is we evaluate them <laughs> and we do a thorough evaluation of what's going on and you need to take an inventory. And if you really want this to work and you want it to be effective, you need to be as honest and authentic with yourself as you can. As my favorite teacher said in high school, knowing the problem is half the solution. And that's where you start to take a look. Is it a moral injury problem? Where are the wheels coming off during my day? And knowing like, well, where is this an intrinsic problem too? What am I doing that may be contributing to my burnout? and to my lack of joy in what I'm doing. And sometimes it's easy, like kind of what we do with our patients too. We say on a scale of one to 10, (laughs) what is your level? And I'll ask people like on a scale of one to 10, if zero is like, you know, zippity doodah, zippity a, and 10 is, this is like as bad as it can get. And really be honest with the answer and like, don't even like give yourself a second to think about it. Just like spit out the number. And that's how you really have a sense. And like we do with our patients and that gives us a really a snapshot of, of where they're at and where we need to start. And then if you want to actually really do the work, you know, ask a trusted family member, maybe I best start with a friend and just say, you know, what, what do you see in me that's contributing? You know, for me, when I ask that question, because this is a lifelong process for me to not be on overdrive, it's how I'm wired. And when I start, the wheels start to come off, they'll just say, "Mm, Lynn, yeah, (laughs) maybe five things at once isn't, you know, going to work for you (laughs) anymore. It worked when you were 10, not so much when you're 55. But go back and flip that and do ask what is working. So go back to the clinic and say, well, what is working? What do I like about the clinic? I also ask people, when was the last time you took any time off? 
We were just discussing that today at work. Yeah. <laughs> Several of us have built up lots of PTO. I mean, we haven't been able to take it for a while. So yeah, we were just discussing that. Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah. And like I, as well, you know, like I hadn't had time off last year. I really couldn't take any time off. And I finally just took two days off, which seemed like it was two months off, you know, to actually do something for myself and did nothing else, but something for me. <laughs> so that was nice, you know, to do good. good. Because well, if we don't take that time off, we are creating our brains are much smarter than we give ourselves credit for. And we are developing those neural pathways of burnout too. And what happens is you don't even know, again, let's use the analogy of the tennis elbow is like, it's been there and it's been creeping up. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, he can't pick up my cup of coffee. So again, you're almost, you get used to walking around in some degree of burnout into your clinic too, is go back and look and say, oh my God, you guys, we have lowered the bar that this is our new norm. So the other thing <laughs> is, and I know, you know, people be like, it's not as easy as it sounds, but we do have a choice and we do need, this is our choice. <laughs> Again, let's make some post-traumatic growth out of all of this total ickiness of COVID. And again, what was working and what got us here and what can we change from here? Now, I will say this, spent 29 years as a hand therapist. <laughs> People will live without us for a day, but they can't live with us if we're that burnt out. Because if you're that burnt out, your productivity is going down, your errors are going up. And again, if COVID taught you nothing, <laughs> that life is short and you really want to do that inventory of what's working. Now, if you have a clinic that you think could like work together and that's not always true. So I'm going to be very honest about that. That's, you know, <laughs> been around the block in 29 years of working in different clinics and some clinics will work together and some won't. But if you have a group that you all want to look and say, you know what, let's fix this. We have a choice to fix this. And, you know, it, it has been tough to get time out of the clinic. But if there's a day to even start, my head blew off with this many years ago. And I try to say like, you know, don't bring me lunch. My lunch hour that I'm going to only spend 20 minutes on because you totally overbooked me. <laughs> right. Then you got to sit down and be nice about the lunch that you really didn't want to eat. You just wanted to go sit in the corner and eat your sandwich or take a walk or I, I mean, seriously, I would find a room and just lie down for five minutes. Give me that. But again, to all you leaders out there, I mean, if people really want their lunch, I'm sorry, I probably get some hate mail saying, how dare you get people to cancel my lunch? <laughs> but I'm just saying lunch is not the answer right. to it. It's helpful, but don't think that that's going to fix it. That's like, you know, doing one thing of ultrasound to a lot of condylitis and saying, there you go. You're good. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. <laughs> good analogy. But in, yeah, <laughs> <of> my analogies, <laughs> somebody asked me, do you take the class in that? I'm like, no, but isn't it fun? <laughs> but I think what's important is that if you can get a group and look at each other and say, okay, 
take an average. If your average is like over a seven, you guys are in serious trouble. And then it's time to help each other to practice self-care because it's an active act (laughs) that needs to flip that switch. And you do need to, you need to take control over it. And that's where Kara, that gets back to where can I take control? Well, is there one time where, you know, at the end of the day, there's one person that maybe there's an hour, let that person leave (laughs) with the understanding that they go do something fun. They can't run errands. (laughs) you know, they can't like go to, it's like an hour off to go to the dentist doesn't count. Like they have to say, okay, you guys, I'm going to go take a walk in nature. Seriously. That's the number one thing to do. If you can, wow, I haven't had a manicure in a year. (laughs) I don't know. I just made that up because nobody's had a manicure in a year. Right. (laughs) And just something that will bring that person joy. And again, we're all different. But that person is like, hey, Stephanie, tomorrow at three o'clock, you're off. Woohoo. So you get to, yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm going to get more like, I can't be found online. <laughs> no, but that's what you do. You group it together. Stephanie, you know what? Tomorrow at three, it's going to be a beautiful day. Look at the patients because that person really needs to come in. Again, nobody died if they didn't get hand therapy one day. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, if we don't, if we don't fix ourselves, we're not going to be there to fix our patients. Mm-hmm. So you, you rotate that if you can. And then you do, if you haven't taken any time off in three months, you'll work to do like everybody listening to this. The next day, when you go listen to this, if you have not taken a day off in the last three months, you have to go in and schedule a day. And you got to march around and say, I'm going to cover you because you're going to cover me. And we're going to look out for each other here. So that's also something that can be done. It's actually a crisis in the U.S. that we're not taking our days off. So if you're working for a company (laughs) that you're just coming in and billing and not taking that days off, that's also goes into boundary work. And I can't tell you, I would say 90% of what I end up doing is boundary work. I because need, those of I need us, those. <laughs> yeah, actually, I would say like, I actually, I think if you're in healthcare or you're in the helping professional teachers, social workers, we have the worst boundaries. But look why there's such an epidemic of burnout is because we haven't set those boundaries. So really going in and setting those. So one of my lines that I love to use is when you permit, like, oh, Lynn will do it. Lynn will just work through every lunch. I'm going to promote that because they'll know that I'll just take the patient. I'll stay late. In the meantime, I'm going to do this space plan. I'm really resentful. And I'm going to tell you the patients are going to pick up on that too. They will pick up on the tone. If you've ever worked in a place where the patients are like, this doesn't feel good. (laughs) (laughs) It's also affecting your outcomes too. And it will affect your productivity and everything else. So really, truly, man, setting boundaries is really important. And actually, if you can work as a team, calling each other out on setting boundaries, because we all want a people place. 
I think that speaks back to one of those extrinsic factors being those perceived inequities of, well, I'm constantly being asked to work through lunch, or I'm the one that's being asked to stay late, or they know I'll take that out on patient. And so then it becomes a perceived inequity and leading to that burnout as well. And how does that make you feel? (laughs) You don't want to be the one that's, that <laughs> is constantly being asked that, yeah, but right. maybe resentful. that is part of an intrinsic that I haven't set my boundaries you, and said, oh, Hey, Kara, you're a quick study. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's going back and really doing, as we say in my world now, really doing the work and really being honest. If you feel like, again, it's really, it's harder not to speak up. You think, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get fired. You know, this is going to happen. They're going to label me. Playing small and not speaking up and staying in your little prison of burnout, but speaking up and finding your voice has a whole lot more frame. And that's what will lead to the change of changing systems. Now, one of the other things that has really occurred to me in the past year, working with burnout when I saw just, you know, the roof got blown off with, you know, the pandemic, right? And I thought, oh man, do I always have to pick like the hardest thing in the world? (laughs) (laughs) But again, I think it just drives it home too. It's like, we have to start somewhere. And that starts with what you permit what you promote. And a third, there's an article that came out about two weeks ago or so that a third of people in healthcare are going to leave their jobs. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty high. That's outrageous. Right. One in three or would like, like they're feeling that burnt out. So go Mm -hmm. and look and see, and again, go back and start somewhere. What is working? The one thing I always hear when I'm coaching therapists (laughs) is about documentation. (laughs) I know. I I, I can see you. I see you guys. (laughs) No, you guys, I'm not playing poker. Well, I'll play poker with you because you have no poker face. So over documentation, and I actually think that you write this on your, over your desk is needless suffering. Pain is real. Suffering is optional. So that's what you can have control over. And I'll just keep saying this and like every chance I get documentation needs to be good enough. Stop. (laughs) That's it. You are not to come in the next day because your buddies gave you those two hours off. (laughs) They just need to be able to pick up the chart and know what to do with that person. End of story. So please go back and figure out any way that we can make that. Again, making the systems better. What's working, what's not working. And again, that's the one. Yeah, that is definitely one we can have control over. I agree. You know, you can get a little lengthy with documentation. And I know I'll find myself kind of getting wrapped up into documentation, but lately I've really been kind of stepping back and saying, okay, they need the facts. 
the bare minimum, you know, I have enough to show improvement. Somebody can pick up that chart and, and continue to treat them. And I don't have to write a novel, you know, yes. on that patient. Yes. I'll joke with people I'm working with and I'll read their note. I'm like, is this a master's thesis or a soap <laughs> note? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my goodness. You can't get that time back. Right. So right. think of that too. And again, going back, COVID has taught us so much is we don't get this time back. Right. And, you know, and I think even, I don't know, Kara, as far as you, but documentation, you know, they're almost forcing us to do point of care documentation so that you're supposed to be documenting while you're providing treatment at the same time, which can be challenging. You know, you want to give that care to your patients, but then you need to document at the same time. And are you really paying attention to them? And, and I guess those are the extrinsic factors that are affecting me intrinsically. And often I don't document because I want to give my patient that full attention that they deserve, you know, when they're coming in and I just feel like I need to give my attention to them and pay attention to the rest of the stuff later, you know, then I'm there for two hours later. (laughs) Right. So, so good. So good. And that actually gets to that actually gets to one of the definitions of moral injury, going back to the extrinsic. It's being unable to provide the high quality care and healing in the context of healthcare. And you can't, and that's where studies, I also talk a lot about multitasking. If you're writing, your eyes aren't on the patient. Exactly. Right? Right. So again, how can we change this? Are you in a position where you can change and you can take a half hour and all everybody sit down and say, okay, we need to get X, Y, and Z done. How can we do it in a way that serves the patient? And more importantly, as the topic of this, (laughs) it serves (laughs) us to continue Mm -hmm. to be the high quality clinicians who want to show up in the way that serves the patient. So there are ways like, you know, there's workarounds, you know, the bean counters don't want to hear that it's wrong. So coming and saying, okay, we sat down, we brainstormed this. We'd like to try this, <laughs> this way, you know, let us try this and let us try it for a month because we need to work some bugs out and, and see what happens and then go and say, and this is what worked. So again, looking for the solutions, just like we do with our patients too. Mm -hmm. I know my employer on the opposite end has been very sensitive to burnout and has lately been providing avenues. No, no lunch. No, no, no. (laughs) We can't order out. It's COVID. You're right. You're right. God forbid we share a pizza. COVID and the pizza. Oh my God. But they have been providing like webinars in regards to meditation, avenues for like to do yoga and exercise, trying to think some of the other things. Now, they've not really provided you the time to do this. You can do it on your own time, but still it's better than nothing, you know, and I know a lot of coworkers don't take advantage of that because they're like, what's meditation? I don't need that, you know, like. So they've not really acknowledged the fact that maybe that might be something that could help them, you know, at a future point or prohibit them from falling down that spiral of burnout and ending up where they're at. But 
Yeah. And I actually have strong opinions about all of this, apparently. And and a lot of the literature too, like the mindfulness programs. And again, I'm all about being mindful, right? And I think it's important being in the moment and be here now. And all of that is really important. But it's like, if you don't fix the systemic problems, (laughs) if you don't get those extrinsic factors fixed first, then you're never going to get it to work. Right. Right. So it's like, you got to fix the tendon and then come to hand therapy. And then we work on getting well. So you have to, you have to take a good look at the problems. And that goes back to like, don't tell me to breathe. I don't have time to pee. Why don't we look at our day and figure out where is causing me the stress? And you know what? I don't want to do yoga. I want to leave early to go read my book. I mean, what speaks to that person too? And I think that's where it comes back in where I think it's very, very well-intentioned, but that would be like, what brings me joy with like, you know, other people would think that that's completely crazy and they don't want to do that again. And that goes back to, that's not the person fixing that intrinsic kind of filling their bucket, so to speak. Like you have to fill the bucket, your gas, you know, you need to have enough gas to get through the day. You need to be changing the oil every three months. Well, not anymore. Back <laughs> yeah. In the eighties, remember we didn't change every three months, a car blew up, but we're like that now. If every three months you are not taking an active break, you will burn out. Now, even on a daily basis, they say 20 to 60 minutes is needed. Again, that can be hard, but even break it down into micro breaks, 90 minutes, the clinic where I was, it was actually a circle. (laughs) So when there weren't patients around or doors were shut, (laughs) you just did like three loops around. And we just knew like that person's doing their loops just to like clear their head because that was their only chance. So again, well-intentioned, but if you're that person offering the, again, well-intentioned, but again, that goes back to like, don't bring me lunch. <laughs> don't offer me one more thing that almost feels like that's not going to work. And that's also my second, you know, so the, you go back to, so we ask our patients, what's important to you? What are your goals? And allow that person to really do that. And I also say, you know, pick something that is so important to you that, watch what I say this, but I'm like, you would step over a dead body to get out the door. And it's non-negotiable. And everybody else understands that on Thursdays, you know, for me, it was like Thursdays, I did not want to miss my voice lesson. It brought me so much joy that come hell or high water, the staff knew that on Thursdays, I needed to be out the door (laughs) on time to get to the thing that brought me joy. And that was supportive. It wasn't to go to yoga or meditate. I often find like, I have to get out the door, but it's for everybody else. Like whether I'm taking my daughter somewhere or whether I'm going here, it's never really to sit back and say, I am getting out the door because I want to go read, you know, and I guess we need to make that a priority and do that inventory, you know, figure out what makes us happy as a person, not with everybody else, just ourselves. Yeah. And I think a nice way to wrap it up is, we all work hard. We all do great things. 
we all do big things. We all do hard things. It's life. And as hand therapists, I think we're like extra good at all of that stuff, but it's the lack of restoration that will cause the burnout. See what I mean? It's that constant. So again, ask that person, ask yourself, what restores me? And let that speak to you. And you make that non-negotiable with those boundaries. Yeah, that non-negotiable. <laughs> <Virtually> boundaries. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, I think that non-negotiable part is what there are many times kind of going back to our patients. Sometimes we tell them this is a non-negotiable. You're going to, you know, Excellent. you're going to yes. do this. You're going to do this. You're going to wear this. If orthosis, you want to get better, this. right? Right. Right. And I think that we I have to you do whatever you want, but if you want to get better, <laughs> that is true. True. Yeah. But okay. having that non-negotiable with ourselves, I think is, is an important, important part to it. Absolutely. I think that's pretty good. You've been listening to Hands in Motion, brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. To learn more about ASHT and to subscribe to the show, please visit ASHT.org. We'll see you next time on the Hands in Motion podcast.